Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Nathan Maines. Welcome to Keystone Education Radio. We're recording this episode live at various locations this, at this year's PASA PSBA School Leadership Conference. More than 1,000 school directors, superintendents, administrators, and exhibitors gather each year for this conference. This year, a new award was created and presented, the Pennsylvania Education Innovation Awards, recognizing innovative leadership in public school board governance, administration, and teaching was sponsored by CM Region and the CM Cares Foundation. The three separate awards were given to recognize innovation in the three areas I just outlined. I'm pleased first to be joined by this year's honorees, the Derry Township School Board President Jennifer Mizell and Superintendent Joseph McFarland. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Let's start with uh, uh, in the nomination form. It said your school board had embraced an ongoing systemic professional development model uh, that really serves as a model for the whole school community. Uh, that's a lot to say, a lot of buzzwords kind of tossed in there, but break that down. Tell me what that really means to Derry Township. Sure. Um, in our board operating procedures, uh, professional learning is one of our operating principles. And uh, we developed a two-day in-house orientation program to complement PSBA's new board member orientation. We like to hear that. Yes. So the first day is more high level meeting with uh, business manager, superintendent, district office sure. people, building those relationships, learning a little bit about what goes on from the systemic level. And then the second day is meeting with every building administrator, every director to get a little more uh, hands-on as to what it what goes on in the buildings what the goals are what the the challenges are and again building those relationships sure outside of that then we developed a one-year sort of a an induction plan for new board members okay. using the PSBA learn portal uh, went through and sort of prioritized um, what would be good trainings at certain times of the first year uh, to learn mm -hmm. for board members and then the board also adopted and put into their guidelines um, three professional learning workshops each year, one in the fall, one spring, and one summer, okay. uh, to build those relationships and also to deepen our understanding of board governance, district governance. So Jennifer, I'm gonna put you on the spot. I know you said that, that he would do all the talking on this one, but talk to me a little bit from the board's perspective. How has this changed things for the school board? What have you seen as a, as a positive outcome of, of this real organized plan? Well, I feel like we are very prepared um, because we, you know, the professional learning has helped us grow as a board with our educational knowledge, but also our relationship building. Um, you can see us becoming a stronger board as a result of it. Um, and I think that that's kind of filtering down through the administration and the staff within the school district. Well, and, and if I can say, you know, in, in central Pennsylvania, certainly Derry Township is known for being a high-quality district. Do you think that's in part uh, connected back to the, the early work that you've done with the school board itself? I do. I, I think I've seen uh, a big culture change within the district. Um, we, from, from the board down through professional and even to support staff, it's all about ongoing professional growth and learning. Uh, our vision is about helping everyone find their passions and talents, which ties right into that. And having the board model that and the importance of it has really helped the staff embrace it and be willing to take risks and learn new things because they see the board doing that as well. Well, Board President Jennifer Mizell, Superintendent Joseph McFarland, thank you so much. Congratulations on being the first Innovation Award winner for a school board in Pennsylvania. 
Thank you. Thank you. The Innovative Teacher Award went to Kristen Albright this year, the, a library media specialist, gifted support teacher, technology coach, and many other titles at Penns Valley Area School District in Center County. That is a, a, a lot of stuff to outline as we talk about uh, your accomplishments. Uh, you are involved in your school's one-to-one -one program, putting technology in the hands of all students. You've presented at a conference in Ghana, Africa. You've had your gifted students operating a small-scale pizza sauce business. The list goes on and on. Tell me a little bit uh, about uh, your nomination for this award and, uh, and some of your other experiences. I feel incredibly blessed to have been nominated by my principal, Danielle Yoder. Um, she has been such an inspiration to me through my career. I had started as the library media specialist um, about five years ago. Um, I've been there for quite a while and um, this, five years ago I was kind of morphed into this technology coach position. Wasn't sure where it was going to go or how it was going to work out. But we decided to go one-to-one -one and somebody needed to run the professional development. So um, I do one-on-one -on -one professional development with the teachers. I also run in service trainings. So I, my job has changed throughout my career and I'm really lucky to have a administrator who allows me to take risks and do some of the amazing things that I get to do. Because for everything that works out really well, there's some other things that don't work out so, so well. Not many people can say that they've gone and done a, uh, a training in, in Ghana, Africa. What was that like? It was amazing. It was the best experience ever. I had never been out of the country except for Canada. And um, I was fortunate enough through a grant through Penn State and Center for Science in the School, CSATS, to go and run a professional development for teachers, for Ghanaian teachers. They wanted to learn about higher level questioning, um, about Bloom's taxonomy and how to get deeper thinking, deeper understanding of their students. And then I also taught at some of the rural, very rural uh, Ghanaian schools. Uh, we taught about Pennsylvania seasons. They only have two, wet and dry, and we have all four here. So I got to explain a lot of different things that were happening in, in the United States. They really were surprised to meet someone from the United States. They had never met anybody from the United States, let alone teach a class there. So How long amazing. were you over there for? 14 days. Wow, that's quite a, quite a lot to pack into a short period it of time. It was. It was a whirlwind trip that I would relive every week if I could. Well, let me ask you before, before I let you go, we hear a lot of interesting things that different schools do, a lot of different programs, a lot of different business opportunities. I can't say that I've ever heard before of a school that runs a pizza sauce business. So tell me a little bit about that. We actually only made enough pizza sauce for our own parents, but we had a parent night. Um, last year I took over the gifted support and I asked the students what they wanted to do and hydroponics was interesting to them and we wanted to make something worthwhile, so we decided to run a small business. They had to solicit donations of anything that we couldn't get to make our pizzas, cheese and crust from local businesses. They wrote persuasive letters. Um, we work with a local um, hydroponics gardener. He set up our system and came in and talked with the students. Um, he also helped us run some outreach programs with that. And then the kids each took a role in the business. If they were good at graphic design, they made our business cards. If they were good at, at um, pricing jars and other things, that was what they did. Some kids made a website. So everyone was able to take a role in the pizza sauce business. And then we invited our parents to enjoy the uh, results of our work. Wow, well, that sounds like an amazing program. We had a lot of fun. Kristen Albright, our 2017 Innovative Teacher of the Year Award. Congratulations. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, we're finally joined by Rob Caracelli. Rob, our 2017 Innovative School Leader of the Year awardee. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Over in Fox Chase Elementary in the Philadelphia School District. 
tell me a little bit about the journey you embarked on in 2014 when you started thinking about this uh, farm week kind of concept at the school. So when I took the reins of principal at Fox Chase Elementary School, I happened to live in the neighborhood as well. And the buzz in the neighborhood was, why would you go to a Philadelphia public school? There's nothing there. They don't offer what the Catholic schools or the charter schools could offer. So my first year there was figuring out what can I do to engage students at a higher level. I met Miss Mandy Felusis from the Fox Chase Farm, who introduced me to agriculture and agriculture in the classroom. I saw that it touched every learner that I had in the building special needs, English as a second language, behavior problems, everyone was actively engaged and I knew that was uh, the key to, you know, to high student achievement was going to tie it in with the engagement. So we pursued the avenues of agriculture. We saw that there was an opportunity to apply for a redesign grant. So we applied to have our school redesigned into an agricultural elementary school. There was no other replicas we could find of anywhere across the state. So we pretty much made our entire curriculum based around agriculture and the next-gen science standards, tying them all together with hands-on project-based learning. Uh, the students would go to the farm weekly, bring that learning back to the classroom, and be able to express it in writing, in math, and uh, social studies and science. So everything really in Fox Chase now revolves around this uh, concept of, of agriculture, and, and you've been able to really connect it into a lot of different areas, it sounds like. It does, and we incorporate it directly into that STEAM model with science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. We applied for a large uh, grant from the Long Long Foundation, okay. and Long Long is a world-famous pianist that actually studied at Temple, so he provided us with an electronic uh, state-of-the-art keyboard lab. So all of our children get uh, keyboard lessons twice a week from ages two and, uh, grades two and up. Excuse wow. me. Not exciting. something you expect in every uh, elementary school. No. Very and innovative. You walk into that room and it's dead silence because all the children have headphones on sure. and the teacher can communicate with individual students or whole class. So it's really pushing our kids to think outside of the box, which is what allowed us to get there. So, and we talk about the Innovation Award, but really you've been recognized for this uh, by other folks. The Department of Agriculture has, uh, has certainly reached out and recognized you and the White House. Yeah. What's that like? So Secretary of Ag for the state of Pennsylvania, Russell Redding, had been in town a few times and we had the chance to meet him and just talk and just having that flexibility for myself and my staff to think outside of the box and allowed our teachers to really run with his vision and uh, Russell Redding really took sight of it and was excited about it and I guess when he was talking to folks at the national level it was brought up at the White House and the White House you know made it a point to identify that the school in Philadelphia is pushing ag at not just the high school level, but it is pushing it at kindergarten to start right in the foundations of learning to push agriculture. And as you know, the state of Pennsylvania's number one industry is agriculture. Absolutely. Well, Rob, congratulations. Our 2017 Innovative School Leader of the Year Award. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored. Thank you to everyone for taking a few moments to be with us on this podcast. And congratulations and thank you again to all of our recipients this year. Uh, for the Innovative Awards 2017 uh, from the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Next up, after a short break, we'll hear from our Friday keynote, Nadia Lopez. PowerSchool is the leading K-12 education technology provider of solutions that improve the education experience for 100 million students, teachers, and parents in over 70 countries around the world. 
PowerSchool provides the industry's first unified classroom experience, empowering teachers with best-in-class, secure, and compliant online solutions, including student information systems, learning management and classroom collaboration, assessment, analytics, behavior, special education case management, and finance HR ERP. Learn how PowerSchool does all of this and drive student growth. Visit PowerSchool.com. So next we have Nadia Lopez joining us. She's a keynote speaker at this year's Passive PSBA School Leadership Conference and a finalist for the 2016 Global Teachers Prize. Nadia, thanks for joining us. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me. In 2010, you started a middle grade public school called Mott Hall Bridges Academy in Brooklyn, which is one of America's most underserved communities. Last year you authored Bridge to Brilliance, which is chronicling some of the lessons learned during the developments phase in that school and offers some of your real life applications for educators and administrators that want to also address the equity issues. You did a TED talk about Mott Hall and you mentioned that you opened a school to close a prison. Talk to me a little bit about your motivation behind opening the academy. Well, first and foremost, there are um, 1,700 schools in New York City public um, within the New York City Department of Education and they all strive to provide quality education. What I found to be a challenge was um, a culture throughout every level of the school, whether it was from the secretary, school leaders, teachers, crossing guards that truly had a belief um, that every scholar could succeed. and. Um, I took that from the experiences that I had as a teacher as well as an assistant principal before I opened up the school. Um, what motivated me the most was having my own daughter and knowing that I wanted the very best for her and I didn't feel that I, I had to pay for education. I came through the New York City Public School and all I knew is that there were outstanding educators who truly believed that the foundation of excellence started with building community right within the context of your school building. So I, I have to ask, uh, you mentioned how large the New York City public school system is. I mean, it's, it's a city unto itself. Um, and you talk um, so simply about starting a new school. Mm -hmm. that, that couldn't have been easy. I, how did you even I guess get to the point of saying, okay, this is something I can do. And, and what was it like? I mean, you had to have encountered just some amazing obstacles. It's not easy to start a school. You know, obstacles is an understatement. Um, I had the great opportunity of opening up uh, as a founding teacher, an all girls school, the Urban Assembly Institute for Young Women in Math and Science. Uh, it was a a way for me to see that you can develop a school from the ground up and really brand it, um, develop relationships within the community, understand the landscape of what the community needs, recruitment, hiring teachers, like I was part of every nut and bolt that was required of the school. Um, so I saw the possibilities. At the time, Mayor Bloomberg um, decided that he was going to engage in what's considered the small school movement um, because there was so much criticism that he had opened up a lot of charter schools, but what about our district public schools? Um, so there was an opportunity to write a proposal of which I had uh, a committee of about six individuals um, that included partners who represented um, Long Island University, um, 
uh, areas that was of concern, social emotional individuals. So that was guidance counselors, program directors, um, as well as principals and other educators So I, I, and, and parents and as well as future scholars. So I wanted a holistic view of what the needs were and tailor a school based off of that. Um, when I wrote the proposal and I presented it to the Department of Education, it did not um, get approved because of the geographic locations. Majority of my partnerships were in Brooklyn um, and I'm a proud Brooklyn girl. And so the Department of Education only had available openings in the Bronx. Oh, okay. um, so ultimately, it allowed me to become an assistant principal, which I thought was better because I didn't want to go from the classroom straight into an administrative role. And ironically, I, was, I ended up being an assistant principal in the very community that I opened the school in, which was eye-opening. Um, what occurs in Brownsville is disheartening. Um, it's a community that is disenfranchised. It's a community that has been disregarded um, in one of the richest cities in the world. Um, when they say the New York City uh, Department of Education is one of the most segregated um, education system, it's, it is. Um, and that's beyond the, my control within my office. Um, so when I stepped into that space, being born and raised in Brooklyn, uh, being raised in a community that wasn't the most affluent, but there was a sense of love. There was a sense of, um, we can win. And Brownsville has a sense of resilience, but there was a sense of hopelessness at the same time. So I, I wanna ask you about Brownsville. Mm -hmm. um, so you have a proposal, um, not approved, but right. you end up in Brownsville, you're looking at a community that I'm sure, you know, on first glance you said they, they desperately need what it is I wanna do. But did the community instantly rally around your idea, or um, was it a tough sell because uh, there was some suspicion around, I guess, trying something new? Were they just so uh, disenfranchised that they didn't want to take a leap of faith? Because it sounds like that's really what you were doing right. with this program. How did, how did the community react to that? It depends who you ask. Sure. Um, my encounters at times within the school that I worked at was firsthand violence. Um, I ended up in the hospital uh, three times. Um, I was slammed into a brick wall. I fell down a flight of steps. Um, you know, the things that I encountered, I would never want anyone to ever have to step foot into a school and think that this is what schools are like. But I also understood that it was a place of brokenness and people react or behave in a way that they've been treated. Um, so children are not taught to be angry and violent. Um, they are shown that and um, they don't wake up saying this is what I want to do. They, they seek out love and when they're rejected so many times from a system, they're rejected by adults they're rejected by their peers, they're constantly told by the media that they will never amount to anything, they act as such. Um, so being in Brownsville allowed me to understand that you can combat that with love. It takes a while. When I opened the school, um, really July 1st, I didn't have any kids. I, I had maybe seven or 10 kids on my roster. I had to physically walk throughout the housing developments. I had to engage parents um, in multiple areas of the community. Um, 
Some people thought I was crazy. They knew that I wasn't from Brownsville, but they also respected the fact that I was relentless. So what I attracted ended up being those parents whose children were not mentally well. Um, those parents who weren't going to be actively engaged, they just saw someone who was relentless in the pursuit of getting kids, but weren't willing to commit to the process of what it meant to partner in education. Um, so that first year was really, really tough. I bet. Um, but I earned my stripes and I earned a reputation um, that I was no nonsense. So from having a total of 24 kids the first day of school, by the end of that year I had 45. By the second year, we had 125 kids, because at this point now, the reputation was out that sure. this is the school you want your child in. So you kind of won them over by demonstrating what it would be like and how it would work. Yes. You talk in the book a little bit about taking kids to Harvard. Yes. And that seemed like a significant uh, moment for, for both uh, the students and, and the school, I think, as a, as a whole. Talk to me a little bit about uh, why you chose to do that and what the outcome was and how the kids reacted. I chose Harvard because it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I actually planted my feet on, on the grounds of Harvard. And as a child growing up in New York City, no one ever told me that I couldn't aspire to go to Harvard. I was in um, a gifted school. Uh, I did fairly well, um, but no one told me that this was a place where I could actually aspire to go. Um, so the mere fact that I was never exposed to it limited my own sights. Sure. So when I actually visited, I, I realized that I created a facade of what the school was and every child should have at least the opportunity of planting their feet there and whether or not they decide to go is one thing, but they should not be limited in saying this isn't a place where I belong. Um, and so f it was funny because when we, when we did the trip, there were kids who were always chronically late, like chronically, could have 80 latenesses. So some things are the same everywhere. Yeah, right. And um, the day of the Harvard trip, it, the entire school was going to go. So we took 210 kids that time. Wow. There were parents that I've never met in my life. It was, we were leaving at five in the morning. There were parents who were there at 4.30. Like, my child is going to Harvard, right? And it, it just spoke volumes of what they wanted for their kids. And they felt like this was a chance. Um, we had an amazing time there. Uh, the things that my scholars learned, whether it was uh, 18th century Chinese art or learning various um, content within science that matched what they were learning at Harvard, many of the professors were really impressed and said to me, we, we, weren't, we didn't think that they would know. And I said, why not? You know, it's, we don't limit what our kids should learn. Um, it's education is supposed to transform the lives of children. And what our kids have been deprived of is individuals truly believing in their capabilities. So you're, I think, eight years into this school, <laughs> this academy. Yes. Uh, you're holding up pretty well. Um, well, th that's not that's the... not always true. Um, there are challenges, like literally within the past 24 hours. Some, you know, there's days that I feel like I'm back at year one. Wow. Um, the fight still continues for equity. Um, 
the fight still continues for the respect as a woman of color who is in a leadership position. Um, you know, there, there's still, even though we raised money to take our kids on trips and allow them to um, have a summer program that's very extensive and, and helps to close the achievement gaps on many levels. It hasn't changed the fact that my children are still living in poverty. Sure. It hasn't changed the fact that I still have staff members who need a lot of professional development. Um, because those who are veterans and those who, um, which we call the creme de la creme, don't want to go into the hardest and highest needs areas. Um, it just, you want to end your day at four. And when you work at Mott Hall Bridges Academy, it could be that your day is going to end at six or seven, eight or nine o'clock at night. It's a lot of dedication. Yes. You got a 98% graduation rate? Yes. That's pretty impressive for any school. Yes. Any of them go on to Harvard yet? Um, no, so our first graduating class, um, we have a significant amount of scholars who are going to college. They stayed in New York City um, just because of one, financial reasons, sure. um, but some of them just weren't ready to leave it's New York tough, City. tough for any kid to, yeah. to venture out. So I'm proud that we were able to give away five scholarships from the funding that um, was raised through Humans of, the Humans of New York campaign. Um, so those young people have started a new chapter that just adds to the legacy of Mount Hall Bridges Academy. Well, and how tremendous that in a way they're giving right back to the very city that pulled together to, uh, to help them up. It's, it's nice to see that they want to stay, to stay close and to contribute. I dare to say um, what's even more touching and compelling is that these were the same children who didn't think enough of themselves and never thought that they would amount to anything. And now um, they still come back to the school. They mentor those scholars who are in the building. Um, and we, we literally created a legacy alumni association just so that we could stay in contact with those scholars and prepare them to go to college and beyond. So I have to ask, you know, eight years into it, uh, what's next? I mean, you're, it sounds like you're <laughs> always uh, evolving and growing. Uh, what, can you give us a sneak preview? Um, there's no, there's no clear answer for that. Um, I didn't even know I would be this far. I, the only reason why I got into education is because of my own child and not wanting to be one of those who complained about what's wrong with our system, but wanting to be one who could be an influence. Um, I opened a school because I believed that there was a way to create a model that said we don't have to subscribe to um, what society says are the limitations for children in specific um, zip codes. So I'm a learner first. I learn every single day from my scholars and my team. Um, and all I really want to do is great work, whether that's within the context of Brownsville or that's on a world stage. Um, either way, I want people to know that education truly is transformative. And despite whoever is in charge in this world, um, Maybe we don't see policies the way they need to go in terms of supporting our children or our classrooms. We have an obligation as a community, a global community, to dictate what that looks like. 
Well, it sounds like you've done just that and you're doing just that. And yeah. I want to thank you for taking a couple minutes. Uh, I know you've got to get off to the, uh, the hall where you're <laughs> going to speak to our, yes. our uh, attendees today. But what, a, what an amazing story. What a, what a wild success and how wonderful for all those students. Uh, so congratulations and, and thanks so much for, for being here today. It's going to be a, a, a great talk, I'm sure. Well, I appreciate your time as well. Uh, we're joined by Nadia Lopez, uh, her amazing story about creating her school. Uh, and she's going to be speaking in just a little bit to our uh, folks attending uh, the PASA PSBA conference. Nadia, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.